Hi, and welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour, and we are looking behind the shadows. Is that possible? I don't know if it is. Into the shadows uh, of the latest Sherlock Holmes film. I'm joined in the studio by Ian Fales. How are you, sir? Good, Mike. How are you doing? And via many satellites, Jason Diamond. How are you, sir? How do you do? So, uh, this is uh, a film, sort of the last, I guess, of the films from this sort of uh, cr- Christmas crop before we get into Oscar-type stuff. Um, and a film that I was looking forward to a lot before it came out. Uh, but I'm going to start by getting your guys' opinion on, uh, the, both of your opinions on what you think of the film. And then, of course, we'll get into the visual effects, which, uh, well, I'm not even going to preempt that remark. I'm just going to ask you, Jason, what do you think of this film? Uh, I actually enjoyed it. I didn't think I would, because um, the first one was good. It wasn't amazing, but it was, you know, entertaining. And uh, I wasn't sure how much Guy Ritchie had in him. But this one, I actually enjoyed it. I thought the story was, was solid. It was smart. It didn't re- resort to a lot of story tricks, per se. I didn't really think it was pretty straight ahead. You knew who the bad guy was, and they were just trying to, you know, battle wits. Okay. Ian Fails. <laughs> um, I actually enjoyed it, but pretty much only by the end. I thought there was a really, really long build-up to the kind of climactic waterfall scene, which obviously we're going to talk about. But I thought to get there, there was a lot of filler almost. But um, once that happened and it made everything make sense in the film, I, I actually really dug it and thought it had a, a great sort of rollicking good end to the film. I had a lot of respect for the effects work done in this film, in particular the tree blasting sequence. thought the film was a major disappointment. I wanted to like this film, like Guy Ritchie, like the idea of this film, like the companies involved with this film, people like NPC and Framestore. thought the film, major disappointment. I know I'm not alone in this. Lots of people I've spoken to thought that it was a... Well, uh, let me say what I think. I think it's an old-fashioned sequel. And by old-fashioned sequel, I mean a sequel like we used to have where the sequel is just milking it for whatever the first one was good at. So my criticism of this as a film, before we get into the effects, is that it was like, oh, we got a really good sequence with this uh, explosion going on at down at the boatyards in slow motion with super high-speed photography. Let's do that again. Uh, we can't do an explosion. What should we do this time? Uh, well, let's have trees blasting apart and bullets whipping past. Good idea. You know, um, okay, so now we can have this other sequence here where he sort of thinks in ahead on what the fights are going to be. That looked kind of cool. We should do that again. Oh, yeah, let's do that again. Oh, wait, it's a sequel. We have to do it twice. Uh, make the other guy think it as well. Good, good idea. Okay, what else are we going to do? Uh, now we need a plot. Oh, bugger, really? Well, let's do that after lunch. Um, so for me, uh, I can't begin to tell you what a disappointment it was to not have the kick-ass, cool, mega film that I thought it was going to be. I think both of you guys are on crack cocaine, especially you, Ian, because the end sequence was like the worst of all the sequences, even from visual effects point of view. I think your set, your hopes and your sights were set a little high. It's Guy. Know, Guy does good stuff. Guy does good commercials. Nah. This isn't like, a commercial. Well, okay, but I'm just saying, Guy does good it's 129 minutes. Guy used to do it's really hard. good stuff. We used to like Guy. <laughs> I'm no longer on Team Guy. Um, okay, let's shift gears to the visual effects, which for all my criticisms of the trees blowing, that's from a plot point of view, not from a, was it, you know, done well point of view. Um, but I, I, you know, even the visual effects supervisor on this chest is great bloody people on this film. What the hell was guy thinking? I've put the full blame at Mr. Ritchie's feet. Even if he was here, I'd say, Mr. Ritchie, 
I think you're a pagan god, but mate, were you just upset over Madonna? What's the deal? Because there's just well, he's the director. Ultimately, it's his comes to him regardless. Yeah, but, but mm. all right, let's start I, with I the just, beginning. Before you go on, Mike, I mean the film, the first film did really well, and this film has done well as as well. Define Sometimes well. Sometimes people define go to the well. films wanting just, to see the same well? stuff. Entertaining? No. Original? <laughs> no. Sherlock Holmes? No. I always like a sequel that does try something new, but in fact, I think there's a lot of people who go back to the cinema wanting that shot again, wanting that stuff. You know, I even remember an example of this was in the first Mummy film. Apparently one of the big awesome sequences was when the mummies chasing uh, Brendan Fraser climb up on the side of the walls. And basically that was like the most, the best reaction they ever got to some single shot in a film. And so uh, for the test audiences. So in fact, they did repeat that scene in the sequel. So the fact that you have to go to the mummy to justify your case is reason enough that I'm going to make you sit in the intellectual corner for the rest of the podcast. I'm sorry. I would That's the say best you can come up with? This movie, you, I wouldn't call it a sequel. I would call it a refining 1.5. You know, yeah, it's a 1.5. One and a half. Yeah, it's not it's even a, a 2.0. Yeah. They refined... They refined the characters and the plot. This really oh, should have been wait, the first I won't one. even say they're going to refine the characters because I found Sherlock just annoying for the first 25 minutes. It was like I, I actually seriously wanted to make a joke and then I thought I shouldn't joke because obviously he's mentally you know, not sort of fully there. It's like don't poke fun at the, at the mentally retarded child. I mean, it was just like it wouldn't be funny to make jokes about the guy. He obviously had major social and learning difficulties and then I realized it was just a character on a screen. Well, they bas- they basically said he was on cocaine for like days. But he just so. okay. But I understand that there is some truth to the thing that you know the actual Sherlock Holmes was. But I mean, he was just he was just borderline psychotic slash. He was definitely on the curb. Like he was, he literally was somebody that had difficulty communicating with people in the way that yes. someone that has Alz- uh, um uh, not Alzheimer's um autism autism he was autistic. And I, and I really do want to poke fun True. at an autistic person because genuinely autistic people have all of my heart and sympathy and I think that they're, they battle. But this was like they were taking somebody that was meant to be really bright. The only good spot in this, before we get to the effects, and even then I didn't need to see his ass, was Stephen Fry. <laughs> I mean, I was really yeah, about was to say good. the best thing in this was, was Stephen good. Fry, but why did we have to give a gratuitous Stephen Fry naked sequence? I mean, uh, what, just to make him... I mean, honestly, if anything, he seemed he seemed like he had Asperger's, you know, like a, which is mild autism. Oh man! <laughs> so anyway, um, let's get to the visual effects because I just can't keep going. It's just too hard to, you know, when you just take my anyway. And <clears throat> okay, so let's start with um, the uh, opening kind of um, repeat of the scene we saw in the first film. Um, what did you guys think of the uh, of London and the sequence that led up to the death of the uh, heroine from the first one? Well, I think generally I thought the, the London shots and the, sort of the environment shots were pretty pretty good. You know, they show that kind of dirty industrial London, um, which you have to say doesn't really exist anymore. So most of it was created. I kind of felt like the environments were a huge, could be grouped into a huge... Um, series of invisible effects and you unless you sort of delve into what's in each shot you you wouldn't have known that um you know the visual effects guys were there there's a there's a really good establishing shot of of um 
Holmes's apartment in Baker Street, which I thought was pretty invisible. And they did shoot a lot of that on both practical sets, but basically added a whole half of the street. So, you know, generally there's sort of that kind of nice period feel and all the all the sort of things you'd think about in that industrial era. I sort of, similar to what we thought about in the last movie, you know, when they come down, you can see that there's some like cardi parallax going on. I'm not saying that in a in a negative way. It's just, it just you could see it, and I think it's that opening shot when they come down and you see all the buildings and it comes down across. And I mean, all the environments. I mean, they have to be CG, obviously, because it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but I thought it looked. I mean, they looked nice. They're, they sort of went for this this sort of. Uh, pro misty blacks kind of thing it felt like like everything was just a little soft and glowy uh not soft in focus but just it seemed like in the distance they they really went for some atmosphere yeah yeah absolutely um i didn't have a problem with london i thought it was a look it was fine it was well done um yeah i didn't really have a problem with london per se i thought that they'd established a slightly storybooky look in one which seemed to carry in too. You know, there were scenes in the first one at the end on the bridge where, um, you know, I thought they were interesting shots, nice looks. And there was some stuff in this one when they were in the carriage, going over the bridge, heading towards uh, with Stephen Fry and stuff. I thought, again, same thing, like good kind of um, stuff. I don't don't think from an impactful point of view, London was significantly different than anything else particularly. And I don't think that... um, uh, it was bad. I think it was, you know, good work. It was, it was just... It was kind of stylized, though, wasn't it? But I think it's intended to be. Like you say, Mike, it's a storybook kind of look. It's not necessarily ultra-realism. But then again, you know, we're telling this mystery story of Sherlock Holmes. And I just thought that fit in well to the film. And kind of was almost better than the first, in a way. Yeah, I, I look, I totally... If you hadn't seen the first film, um, and... Uh, you were looking at this as a London, you'd buy it as a London and you wouldn't be upset about it. And if you had seen the sec- the first one, you'd think this is the same universe, the same kind of space and stuff. So were there changes? It yeah, was probably, just bigger. It was just bigger and I'd had no problem with that. Yeah, so. Um, uh, it needed to look gritty, apparently. It did. Okay, good. I'm good to that. And uh, now, in terms of the quality of the work, I definitely think that there was like seamless set extensions, really nice, detailed, deep, deep um, uh, digital environments. And and I'd actually rate that work as probably my second favorite thing in the film, just in terms of like that sort of digital environment work. Like that really kind of did visual effects wide of you, like just settle well. And, uh, and I thought it was good to go. I don't have any particular problems with comps that I can remember. Uh, did anyone else have any problems with any... Because I was just a bit distracted by how annoyed I was at the film at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't have any. Pro- I didn't have any problems with uh, with anything. I think I I think I went with my brother, and, and he sort of pointed out there's the pan down the cathedral in the beginning, and then it explodes uh, as you're coming down from the top. We kind of both noticed a transition to what may have been a more practical set from an extension, but uh, I mean we were we were really looking. I mean, it wasn't anything that was jumping out One th- and it may have all been CG. I think I'm going to ask you guys about, and, and I did actually think this was handled well because I would have to watch it again to check it is the gag played at the, in the opening sequences 
that was then reprised in the end of the whole film. And by the way, this is a full spoiler alert of his camouflage stuff. Now, when they walked into the room with the camouflage stuff, I presume that there was a mix of digital and practical. I mean, obviously, he wasn't a suit, but I'm sure they must have mixed it back. In. I mean, that was a that was a good gag, maybe uh, slightly far fetched, but it was it was funny and it was actually quite effective. Him sort of coming out of the wall. Yeah, and I mean, I've talked to NPC and Framestore about the film, and the other house was Blue Bolt, but none of them mentioned anything about that gag. And I now isn't Blue Bolt the visual effects supervisor's company? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's so Chaz Jarrett's company. Yeah. yeah that's right. I would I would bet if you went back and watched that sequence that he's actually not even in that scene until they reveal him. I would bet there's no there's no trickery at all until oh you he think steps that there's away. no trickery? And, and I, I think, think there must have been on the on the chair at the end. I can't believe that that was 100 percent. Just until, until I think just until you saw just I think it's an, more of an editing thing. Honestly, I, I mean I could be completely wrong, but I would bet that they that it's completely just uh, an editing gag. Hmm. All right. Well, I'm, I'm gonna have to wait till it comes out on I don't know Blu-ray, or maybe I'm not even sure to buy it on Blu-ray. When I'm watching it next on an airplane, uh, no, I don't think I'll do that. You'll have to watch it for me and tell me. Yes, I will. I will uh, scrub it for you. Um, and there was a bunch of other stuff that uh, I'm gonna just tick a couple of boxes on before we move any further because um. There was a bunch of effect shots and they were totally cool and fine, like the cold breath from the breathing and stuff in some of the scenes. And there was like obviously other set extensions. So like all of that stuff. Uh, I, I, did anyone have any problems with that stuff? Because I think what we want to really discuss is the big action sequences, the train, the forest, the end waterfall stuff. And those three are three big ones I want to discuss. So before we hit those, I didn't have any general sense of any particular environments not working or anything, did you guys? It was it was just good, solid work? No, I didn't. And I, that's exactly kind of what I mean. It, it feels like all the big shots are there, the ones we're going to talk about, but there are a ton of other invisible effects. I mean, I think there's up to a thousand shots in this film. And um, the first one was pretty big visual effects wise, but this seems grander and yet yet also has a bunch of the digital environments that you don't even think about when you're watching it. Okay, well, yeah. there, there is the factory, but I'm going to fold the factory scenes, the dropping, the destruction of the um, the tower and stuff into the discussion on the forest because it happens right before it. Um, so if we call the forest one, the train two, and the waterfall three, Jason, pick your order, man. Uh, I, I think for me the forest worked work best. Okay, so we're going to start with the forest and work down. Um, <laughs> what did you like about the forest? Uh, I liked the high speed work. I think, I think he's allowed to go to that, uh, in that case, because he's established that as his thing, much like, uh, Zack Snyder, you know, does that in every one of his movies. Um, I like that they sort of created this more portrait style moments instead of just ramping. They really let you live in that moment and sort of really look around and see what was going on i also really liked the zooms that they did which apparently they did with two phantoms side by side long lens short lens and and you know uh through visual effects transitioned between them based on what the editor you know set up uh roughed out um but then it seemed like they did and i don't know if this was like a something that happened while they were rotoing or something, but they seemed like they did this 
thing when people were running and the camera must have been shaking all over the place that they did this stabilization around the main whoever was in the frame and everything else was sort of warping and 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 changing around it it looked like almost like they had stabilized the you know stabilized the plate around the main guy to roto him yeah. and then we're like oh wow that looks really cool let's just leave that uh i kind of i kind of liked that effect a lot and i think it really drew you into you know what it may look like for you if you were running uh i don't know i just i hadn't really seen that done too much before and i thought it was a nice little addition to the uh to that that scene yeah what do you think Ian? yeah same i really enjoyed it and um i also like that you could really get up close to the actual bullets in the sequence which i guess had to happen given that it was done a lot with slow-mo um and then you know once you start looking closely at the trees as well you're seeing all the splinters and um pieces of bark fly off it and you know as we've been covering it on fx guide to find out that most of it was kind of practical with a bunch of enhancement by mpc as well um you know that kind of adds to it as well you, you sort of think wow they had the actors there and you always hear about that all oh, the actors did their own stunts and whatnot but this time they they kind of did do a lot of it practically so that sort of made it more enjoyable for me and we've got some behind the scenes footage of that on the website and you know it's clearly shot on a handicam type thing and it's clearly the actors running and they're clearly blowing stuff up and you can see uh because you're off to the side you know how close the explosions were to them and stuff and there's no doubt uh it worked because you then slow that stuff down. You really get the actor. You add in a couple of these CG elements, like you shoot a bullet through fabric and you comp that into his shirt and, or jacket, and it is kick-ass. I think this is highly successful, highly um, engaging. The finite element analysis stuff that uh, MPC does for shattering stuff like wood gets these incredibly realistic shadows. I mean, just couldn't fault the shadows that were digital. They look completely uh, believable. Um, obviously, the mortar hits and stuff gives it a lot of depth. It's a good set of environment because you've got depth in the shots anyway, stuff close to camera, stuff further away. Um, I didn't know about the two-camera thing. I think that's a. Though I think they did that first on 300 when they were doing that charge mm. down in 300 and they had this, oh, maybe. the... Uh, uh, he was had a sword kind of and a uh, spear and it went down and they would jump in and out and jump out yeah, yeah. by having the two cameras through different lenses. It's a good trick and it works well. So between you ramping and jumping in and out um, and I saw some of that in the trailer and that's the reason that I thought the film was going to be awesome and that's so it didn't let me down. I'm going to say one other thing. I thought the grade on that sequence was really nice. The, the color yeah. grade on that just, you know, like if I was MPC... Really proud of that work. Really proud to put it on the reel. And in isolation, looks spectacularly good. You know, it's not like you go, oh, yeah, there was one big shot, but you can't really see it because there's all the dust that hides it, which you know, we have heard a little bit lately. Like, oh, yeah, it was great, but you couldn't see it. And I've seen making-ofs compile up where, you know, it's even from like something really, really good like Harry Potter, there's so much great stuff happening. But by the time you get to the foreground, you really are only registering the, the, the lead character because everything else has been kind of lost. Uh, it has to be there, but it's just not really playing. Yeah, this, with no plot to uh, confuse it, that you love that sequence. Totally. I mean, look, as a visual effects sequence, I think really successful, very realistic, um, has enough in the grade to make it stylistically feel like it was part of the film and of a period. Doesn't you know? It doesn't sort of look like a high tech sequence out of context. You don't kind of go, "What the hell was that doing in this film?" And notwithstanding my 
comment about the lack of originality, it totally is in keeping with the awesomeness of the first fire sequence from the first film, which I thought was one of the most spectacularly interesting shots of that year that that film came out in. This one kind of knew I was going to get this and it was on the sequel thing as well. But nevertheless, it was, you know, if you had the rest of the film holding up around this, then I'd say this is one of my favourite scenes in the whole film. Um, it, I, You know, obviously plot notwithstanding it's still one of my favorite visual effects sequences in the film take nothing away from the digital environment guys that did awesome work uh, earlier and later in the film but this was the you know wow factor. Oh, this is meant to stand out i mean the buildings yeah. and stuff are meant to be not meaning this despairingly but uh disparagingly rather but their utility it's utility work meant to sort of sit you into a scene yeah and there is no doubt that uh, it was practically impossible to pick other than just knowing that you wouldn't fire a bullet next to the arm of an actor uh, where the seams were, you know? Like, there wasn't... Yeah. It was just really... i got to say, the grade on that just impressed the bajillicans out of me. And the sound in that scene, too, is great when you're watching it in a theatre. You know, just the hearing the um, trees crack next to you. Yep. Yeah. You can feel the bullets flying through. So, it all comes together pretty well. Okay, There's so one frame when... when Robert Downey, or Sherlock Holmes, there's a there's an explosion behind them and these branches light up. Yep. Behind them, like I wanted that frame. I was <laughs> like, that's that's a picture. Like you, that just looks like a nice. It looks like a nice creative photo, you know, outside of plot or anything. It just was a nice composition. Yeah, and you had lots of shallow foreground kind of depth, like you'd have mm-hmm. stuff out of focus in the foreground, out of focus in the background razor sharp around him with just stuff everywhere um and and that sequence as i said earlier i'm going to lump in with the uh collapsing of the tower during the interrogation scene um because i think that also was very realistic i think that the the destruction sequence of the towers collapse the way that smashed through the building and everything else and set that up yeah whether you could survive the crash or not and whether or not you're going to stick a pin through someone's shoulder and hang them up by it and then they're going to run happily around a forest at high speed is a different problem but if you looked at it from a quality of collapse sort of point of view um, it was great it was interesting though that that whole factory setup uh, was actually based on real um, second world war or rather German industrial military complex factories and uh, in fact you researched that didn't you Ian? Yeah, so um, when they were sort of looking for a ammunitions factory to, to do, they looked at a, a book that Chaz Jarrett had on the Krupps factory and the way that it wasn't actually just a factory. They kind of built up a whole city around it, um, you know, because people lived there and they started making other things. And so I think, you know, they were looking at those factories in Germany and others in England and, and elsewhere. Um, so there's, there's a, again, there's sort of this realism to it that was that was pretty cool. And just on the tower too, Mike, I thought there was a, a really cool, interesting story about how they destroyed that because it doesn't really get destroyed in a typical sort of movie way. It, it's kind of even more realistic. And apparently what they saw was this practical explosion of a brick wall that had been done by the special effects guys. And it you know, a shell had gone through this wall and they were sort of setting up a special effects explosion. But it didn't actually explode in a movie sort of way. It was quite... Um, in fact, it hardly exploded at all. So they kind of took that knowledge into the way that they destroyed the tower using that Kali 
um, finite element analysis software again to do it so that it wasn't sort of over the top but much more realistic. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's horrendous. Uh, the factories, I mean, the, the those original factories, you know, during the Second World War and stuff, are pretty um, nasty association with the Nazis and stuff. But you know, it was the bad guy factory in a sense in this one as well. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, that idea of it being a town and the way that stuff fell being much more realistic. You know, the film. I mean, that's the artists really excelling themselves. Like the film deserved to be better, or rather, should have been better to warrant that kind of stuff. Because it did, it did feel like it wasn't just the evil uh, lair in the middle of nowhere. Obviously, you'd need big railway yards to get stuff in and out, huge kind of infrastructure, huge town to support that many people working in the factory. It's the what's the thing in China? The Foxicon. Foxconn, yeah. Foxconn. yeah. So this is yeah. the Foxicon of the you know that period, <laughs> um, where everybody works in the factory and the, and the whole thing is kind of built that way. Uh, and look, you know, unfortunately, uh, as much as one doesn't like uh, sort of the stuff underlying it, um, clearly, if you can get something, even if it's a Nazi war factory, and reference it, that just takes you in places you don't kind of think of, um, which is great, this, I think. This movie takes place in he says at one point eighteen ninety one, right? Yep. So then it would be pre-World War One. It's not even anywhere near Nazis. It's uh, No, but they're referencing all this Nazi footage of the Nazi factories for... Oh, they are for the... Yeah, out of the The filmmakers books. are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, like even though... I'm not trying to... Yeah, because those giant guns were definitely more World War Two type weapons. Yes. Yes, funny that. Um, yes, the Big Bertha kind of thing. Yes, I think if mm. you'd had... Well, there were obviously guns in the First World War, um, and yet, I guess what I'm trying to say is that taking that idea and reconstructing that uh, stuff, and whenever you can get reference, even if, if it's um, not directly from the period, it just tends to give you ideas and stuff that adds great realism to whatever you're trying to do. So if you can find anything in history to pin yourself to, even if it's a different historical period, that can apply well and, and work through. So the whole f- uh, factory sequence, the sniper stuff that playing out to the escape through the factory and blowing a hole in the wall and stuff I thought was really satisfying in of itself um, and was excellent work by MPC it was really really good I did like the uh, the homage to Citizen Kane slash Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, both end scenes where the bullets the bullet uh, floor or shell floor lit up all the way into the distance with just the hole when he flipped the lights on it was just like shells as far as the eye could see in like this warehouse <laughs> yeah yeah and if you go on and just do something like even on um wikipedia and look up the uh the uh, what was the reference that they were using the crumps crumps, crumps, crumps factory crumps. you'll see a lot of those original photos and yeah it's what it looks like um and so ian take us to our next port of call do you want to do waterfalls or do you want to do trains let's talk about the train we'll leave the waterfall to the okay. end as it f- so rarely has a train managed to get anyone anywhere less successfully. <laughs> um, I don't know where to start, really. Um, it was a pretty cool sequence, wasn't it? it from the moment that she I, I thought thrown it felt out the window. Staged. I thought it felt unrealistic. I thought it felt didn't like it. stupid. <laughs> it was... It was just. Uh, I bet okay. you really it was, liked it. it was definitely over the top and a bit confusing. 
I mean, throwing her off the train and I timed it perfectly kind of it, it sort of went into near superhero levels of like carry on and the fact that the brother would be there and it would all be timed out perfectly and that he would know that he would throw her off the bridge at this point because that was the only way to go forward and and that he would go in and hear in the change room the guys through the wall and then rig everything up with special bullets so that you'd know that one i mean oh my god but that's what the movie is that's what the movie is it's all about Holmes seeing things into the future he's got some uncanny ability to do it (sighs) i mean it's tapping into his... Look, here's the thing, right? There's just... Okay. There's just so many variables in life. You know, like the guy stops to get a cigarette. The different guy goes through the door. You know, things you can't possibly predict. You can't say, I'm going to know that this guy's going to come through the door. I'm going to... You know, this number of bullets will be fired before we get to the miracle round that's going to save my life. Like, there's just... I mean, it's... And, and it was just so theatrical and stagey and daft. Wasn't I it? have to say it got the biggest laugh in, when I watched it. You know, that, that throwing out of the train drag. and then the revealing him as a her and then the lipstick in the gun. I mean, that yeah. was almost people's favorite part of the film. Really? I'm sort, of in, I'm sort of in between you guys. I, I enjoyed the work and the sort of the overall point of the scene, but, it, but then the other way that it definitely felt... Uh, like a lot, like they crammed a lot into that scene. Like, definitely, we're we're trying to uh, set some kind of record. I think with uh, confusion. Don't you think we just went over the top on this whole? I'm going to go into my mind and work out everything and play it. Out. I mean, in the first film, he was like, "How am I going to attack this guy?" I'm sort of thinking about it before I do it. Okay, I'm going to come around the corner and hit him. And it was really interesting to see that played out in summer. Then he does it for real. Now it's like, I'm going to see way into the future and work all these stuff out. And wait, once we get to the waterfall, not only am I going to think it out in my mind, but someone else is going to pop into my mind, have a conversation with me and argue with me about it. (laughs) It's like, it was like I was watching an episode of Star Trek and we had two Vulcans uh, mind melding and arguing on the bloody balcony. Anyway, so anyway, the train, the CG train, I thought looked hokey i actually just didn't like it at all i just thought it just didn't it just had no like at no point did i look at that and go that's a real train completely filmed in situ in some european city i thought okay it's a cg train you did, you thought it was good i mean i think it was bad I, thought, I just didn't think it looked i thought the sequence was good stylized. it wasn't it you know there was a lot going on there you, you had the cg train you had views from outside the train inside the train, them on top of the train, you had that little crazy sequence of the camera going into the gun, you know, which maybe felt a little bit derivative because you've seen that kind of shot before, um, you know, inside cars, inside guns. But because there was so much going on, I, I actually really liked it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I didn't understand why their door would open to the outside I was just a little confused why, why, like when he threw her out into the train. When you just get off, late, but that's what you'd had to get out of the station, right? It, I, it just seemed like, whoa, you're speeding along really fast. Wouldn't those doors should be, you know, like pretty? Secure. Oh, I know, I didn't have a problem with that. I, I could imagine <laughs> it just jumped out at me. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, whoa, wait, that looks really. You live in a litigious really society where you know it would be a bad idea to. That is true. That let people get. I this, do take trains every day too. This was a little earlier in history. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay, so let's agree to disagree on that one. Am I going to have to agree to disagree on the waterfall sequence? Because I've already started complaining about it, which is the mind melds up. But even before we get to the waterfall, right? Mm. 
I didn't actually, and now I'm really, I hate to say this, but I didn't like Framestore's digital matte painting fortress on the side of the Swiss Alps. I didn't like it because, A, it's the stupidest place in the world to build a bloody fortress <laughs> because, hello, snow slides down. So anything further up is just going to come down, dump on top of this building and actually smash all its roofs in. I mean, it, it just seemed like, A, you wouldn't want to build it there. B, it'd be like, well, we could build it here where someone could get to us by road or we could build it halfway up the side of a cliff where only evil Dr. Evil Evil henchmen would actually build something. And even then, I'm going to build it ready for this with a giant river running out through the middle of it for no apparent reason. It was a bit evil melt- I think it was melting snow. Yeah, but it's on the side of a mountain. It's not like there's any river going down. It's like if like, you took the mountain away, there'd have to be a big bullet hole the size of like the you know, New York Tunnel that happened to be coming out the side of the... the. I mean, like, seriously, you're sitting at the, the design meeting for this. You say there is a river that just is enormous that pops out the side of a mountain halfway up. Right. With, with a no, kilometer-long waterfall. With a kilometer waterfall. But, up, but upstream of it, like, nothing, right? There's, there's no indication of a waterfall above it. It's just a waterfall coming out the middle of a rock. And then, wait for it, this thing is where we're going to build our castle over the top of. Well, okay, well, maybe you could argue that they needed it for some kind of hydroelectric thing or something, except for <laughs> where this is clearly built in the 17th century. And then, like, there's no way to get to the bugger. There's no way to get down from the bugger. And it would just be wiped out by snow. It's, it, you're building it literally on the side of a cliff. But is your issue with the, that art direction and decision, plot decision, all the, the visual effects of that? Okay, then I didn't like it. I just didn't think it sat in there properly. I actually didn't think that it looked um, stunningly real. It looked it like... It felt a little Lord of the Rings to yeah, me yeah. when it came around the side. Uh, uh, that was just me. Yeah, if there was some magic, if we were in a magical land, I would yeah. totally happily buy this. If this was... Yeah, exactly. Lord of well, the Rings, that goes back to, the, to what I said about the in the beginning, that uh, some, some of the looks did have this kind of diffused thing going on. And maybe you could argue that that was because of the mist coming off the uh, waterfall. I don't know. That would light up the, you know, water vapor lighting up the sort of halation around but, you know, the building. Have you ever been to, like, uh, I don't know, Trafalgar? I mean, not Trafalgar. You want to say uh, the waterfall, Niagara, Niagara Falls. Falls? Yeah. Yes. And in winter, you know how, like, huge amounts of areas around it freeze because all the mist gets frozen. Yeah. And so it turns into virtually ice or snow. And so. There's just these big clumps, huge clumps of ice. You can't even see the waterfall. It waterfall happens sort of underneath it. It's almost like there's a bridge that builds around it. And so, yes, you know, it's running, but there's just big hunks of ice. Not very dramatic unless you happen to be standing there. It doesn't look good in a photo, but it doesn't look anything like a snow-covered environment with a pristine waterfall right in the middle of it. It just That's just not what waterfalls look like in snow. Yet alone the mountain retreat thing. Yet alone, I don't think this just looked like it sat in there very well. It looked like an old style. I mean, this this really looked to me like a fifteen year old matte painting that you would do when you got Photoshop and you really like. This is like one step up. It's better than concept art. Don't get me wrong with that, but it's just not like what I would expect to be. It's not what I've seen from Framestore. The problem is, isn't it that? This location in the Swiss Alps is part of the Sherlock lore, and it's in the novels, is it not? Is it? And he, oh, you, oh, he so stages his death. Reichenbach from, or whatever. Yeah, Reichenbach Falls. He stages his death from, I think, only an observation deck on those falls. And so they've obviously said, well, we're going to have 
certain parts of the real Sherlock Holmes in here, and they've you know added this is to the a, part they chose. Like well, of all they've the parts just made they it more choose, elaborate. This is the they? part they picked. Really? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I frame store normally knocks it out of the park for me. I just didn't think this particular shot was that great. But then we get to the whole absurdity of the mind meld on the balcony. Which... Well, wait, did you like the, the Holmes... Did you like the Watson sort of as uh, deductive Holmes, Holmes reasoning about the facelifts or, or uh, pre-Mengele twin surgery? Yeah, German I mean, yeah. Looking surgery? at the looking at for the lines on the you know for yeah. the facelift. Yeah, I thought that was all good. That was all acceptable. It was just um, and even the running out when the guy gets killed stuff. All great, all fine, no problem with that. It felt like a set piece, but it was okay because you know it's fine. I had no problem with it. But um, look, there are films I saw on the weekend, Underworld something or other, and I remember thinking, wow, they really got a lot of depth to that set. And this set, which should have been like the centerpiece at the end, just didn't have a lot of spacious depth to it. And I would also say this to you. Go to the waterfall now and try and tell me honestly that you felt that that waterfall, the one they went over, the one they spent all their time on, was that waterfall from the matte painting. Like it, it just didn't – it felt like you were going into a little valley that had like a, like a waterfall in a V, Yeah where there was like rocks on the left, rocks on the right, and it went straight down into a kind of a thing, like you'd imagine um, your classic waterfall from a classic uh, African James Bondy kind of thing, right? You know, like the waterfall isn't like this one. It's carved a V over time, and so there are rocks to the left, rocks to the right. That's what it felt like when they went over it. The, the matte painting sets it up very much out in the open, on the side, yeah, open expanse. It felt smaller Looking down scale. the valley. Yeah. It never felt like it was looking down the valley. It looked like it was in a completely different place. That there place should have been a shot from that was from below studio. from that outlet. Yeah, it looked like this the shot that we were seeing of the waterfall when they went over, when they jumped it was in a studio. Like it just felt completely not the same waterfall that we'd had the establishing shot on. Now, do I think that the technology used to make them look like they were falling was cool? Yeah, it's freaking awesome. Like two robotic car building robots holding the two actors on metal arms to flip them around upside down over a green screen like freaking awesome the fact that they got the actors to do that and they didn't get you know like car sick or just motion sickness also very cool i just didn't feel <laughs> wasn't worth wasn't worth the effort well you know it's just like it felt um I mean, you knew it was coming when they fell. You knew yeah. they were going to slow down. I mean, it, there definitely wasn't a, there definitely wasn't any suspense about it. Although, but I also didn't I feel just, that they, I survived. Sorry, I'm going to shut up now. But I just did well, really I, think I, they were going to well, survive. That's, that's I don't think you would. You can't you can't set up like an impenetrable fortress and then say, oh, by the way, I'm just going to jump off it. And I don't care if you've got uh, water breathing apparatus. Like you'd hit the the icy water if you survive the <laughs> concussion impact. If you survived the Use rocks, hydrothermia, if you survived the guy getting his hands around your neck, yet alone that you would get time to get out the breathing apparatus. But even if you did all of that, the breathing isn't going to be your problem, right? You're then going to pop up in the middle of an ice friggin' lake in the middle of nowhere. You'd die of exposure. But it's Sherlock Holmes. I mean, you are actually meant to think that he is a superhero, a superhero. from the 1800s. You are meant to think you, that. Okay, there, okay. But the first film, 
set up the whole thing about Supernatural and you didn't know if you're watching a film where Supernatural was valid or not and then they adequately explained away every piece of Supernatural to say, no, this is a guy of logic, this is a guy who is just intelligent, he doesn't have superhuman powers, the guy he's fighting isn't an evil warlock, he's not a sorcerer, they, they reconstructed and explained away all of the stuff that we up until then were thinking, okay, am I watching a film where this is actually happening or not? Which I thought was really valid because the audience didn't know if it was like that kind of a film or not. This film, he's a superhero, really? Well, he's not well a superhero. there was also... Sorry, go ahead, Ian. Uh, he's not a superhero as the ones we know it from comic books, but he's something more than just a typical human or detective. I think that's what you're meant to think. Jason? Okay. Oh, I was going to say that they definitely tele- telegraph. I mean, if you pay attention, you like as soon as he said, "Here's your wedding present of the adrenaline needle." You're like, "Well, I'm, I I turned to my brother and I said, "I wonder when that's coming yeah, back." Yeah. And then yeah. when he had the little breathing thing, yeah. and he's like, yeah. "That's mine. You better leave that. That's my fresh <laughs> supply of oxygen." You're like, "Well, that's clearly going to come back somewhere." Yeah. You know, yeah. they definitely dropped those pins really heavy. They did drop them pretty heavy because there was nothing to indicate that Stephen Fry's character was an inventor. Far from it. He looked like exactly the kind of guy that would not know how to even, you know, right. wind a wristwatch. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just think, like, the quality of some of the work is immaculate. <clears throat> some of the work is good, but I don't see it to be... Um, like, I didn't think the falling technically looked like they were on rigs. I thought that was a really clever solution to the fall. I just thought there's no way you could survive this fall. This fall doesn't look like the falls that we were looking at a bit, you know, a bit earlier. Um, and I don't even know where we are. And I hated the lead up to the falls with the whole mind meldy. I'm going to think of it. Wait, you think you're the only one that can do that? Um, but the actual fall itself, I thought was pretty effective. I mean, it's like yep. a 30 second shot that doesn't just stay on the actors. It sort of actually starts, I think, from below. And as they it sort of fall pans. to camera, and then and then. I think it ramps down when they're right next to camera and, you know, there's also all those little water droplets next to them. And um, so I think that actual shot is pretty effective. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I like how they reveal Moriarty's face, you know, like they're fighting and then mm. as you pass, as you pass, uh, they pass by and you get to see Holmes on the way down that he's very calm and clearly he's, you're meant to think that he's calculated this and he's not afraid because... As we find out later, he, you know, had a breathing apparatus for freezing cold water. Also, Harris as Moriarty, while I like the actor, I mean, this superhero that you're talking about had taken out tons of more athletic guys in the first film than this. Harris doesn't really have the physique of a U-Butte mega. Absolutely, I could have him as the mastermind. But well, the f- they dropped the they dropped that little nugget earlier that he was a champion boxer at whatever college he was at. Yeah, you need to be a champion kung fu expert for the moves <laughs> they were doing in this film. No, I know, but I'm just you know. I mean, boxing I was- at that era is like don't hit below the belt, fists up, tally ho, yeah. mustaches. Yeah, it's you know, it's. Uh, I do like I do like Jared Harris a lot though. I like him too. Uh, I just don't think he had the physical. Um, yeah, he I- didn't come off as a sort of super tough guy for that Can fight sequence. Two other actors? Yeah, sure. One was Numi, I don't know how you say her last name, Rapace, Rapachi, the girl from the original Dragon Tattoo movies. Yep. Uh, played the gypsy girl. She was awesome. I thought, I thought she yep. was awesome. 
And also, in the beginning, there was a... I don't know if they meant this as a cameo, uh, but uh, the doctor who got... Or the guy who she meant to bring the letter to uh, when the bomb blew up in the sarcophagus. At the auction? The older, gray-haired... Yeah, at the auction, the older, gray-haired actor. You mm-hmm. know who that is? No. no. He was Dietrich, the colonel from Raiders. The first Raiders, who the thin guy whose face melts, oh, or really? at the, implodes at the end. Yeah. Well, I don't care if it was a cameo or not. I'm glad to see him on screen. Yeah, I was just. Uh, but how do you know that? Turned, well, in the in the he looked familiar to me, and my brother turned to me in the movie, and he goes, "That's the guy from Raiders." And I was like, "Really?" And then once <laughs> he said that, and I saw it, I was like, "Holy crap!" And then I looked him up on IMDb, and it's totally him. Hey, from a technical point of view, I thought the footage looked really good filmically. I mean, like the Phantom HD stuff, the gold stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't you think, Justin? Like it look, actually looks my, really good. Yeah, and my favorite scenes, honestly, are, even though that you think they may be played out, the thinking scenes where they go into that chromatically aberrated sort of lens distortion, desaturated look where you really can see, and I don't know if they if they... Uh, add to this, but you can see the global shutter kind of like light flicker going really subtly, which, I mean, clearly they mean to do. But look-wise, that's my favorite developed look uh, overall for for the whole movie, every time they go into that. Yeah, I mean, the... There were some of those that were, I think, successful. It just became... It felt to me like a device that we had sensibly used in film one that somebody tried winding it up to 11 in this film and it just went too far. I mean, much of the film felt like that, right? It just, like, yeah, I just like the way it looked regardless yeah. of how it was effective. I just, yeah, but you're I'm a big, right. it looked good. I'm a big fan of chromatic aberration creatively, uh, myself. Yes. And, and there was great costuming. There was a bunch of other stuff in there that was, you know, really, really good. It's just, uh, some stuff, some stuff, um, I had some major problems with uh, coming to, and some stuff I just felt was too cinematic, or sorry, too uh, theatrical for the sort of cinematic styling that I was expecting and hoping for. Um, I tell you what, I did like <laughs> a lot. I liked him in the first one, the end title sequence. Yeah, just yes. yeah. give me more of that guy. Whoever that guy is, give him a better job in art direction. <laughs> I mean, when I say better job, I mean like more. Whatever he's doing, give me yeah. more of it. Because those uh, that entitled sequence, I thought, was really, really, you know, it's just it's punchy with a good soundtrack, um, and it works. It just, you know, it's endearing and it's of the period and it's got an energy and uh, yeah, it's great. Who's doing the design on that? It's just knows what they're doing. I forgot their name. I I I watched through all the credits, and uh, I there's two companies that did. One did the open and one did the close, and for the life of me, I know I should have this in front of me. Uh, I couldn't, I can't remember who it was. You know how you said you like Terrace and Moriarty, and I, I'm totally with you, but some of the other people that were going to play Moriarty, now I'm just talking about this now from the physical point of view, if you're going to have a major fight sequence as the climax of the film. Daniel Day-Lewis, Gary Oldman, or Brad Pitt, even Sean Penn were all considered for Moriarty, apparently, according to IMDb. Um, I just think many of those actors could have brought a physicality to it that would have been more threatening, given that we've established that 
Holmes is a master fighter. We've had him in boxing rings. We've really seen him like uh, nail it in terms of punching people up. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from the evil mastermind stuff because like when he was at the university and uh, threatening the performance, the acting was terrific. I just feel like if you have that actor, you should play to their strengths and not make the hero piece at the end a fight sequence. It just didn't feel believable that um, someone that we'd established as being such a hardcore um, fighter as Robbie. And Robert Downey Jr. is fit and healthy looking these days. I mean, even in the film when they're trying to make him not look fit and healthy, he was fit and healthy. Um, yeah, I think Gary Oldman probably would have been the next best choice. Daniel Day-Lewis would have been a little too much in that specific role. Oh, I'd have loved to have seen Sean Penn in that role. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Oh, I, that guy's got a hard-ass look. Yeah, he does, but I think I don't think I don't I think the intellect I think Gary Oldman could ride the line right. and do the intellectual, intellectual thing, yeah. And the and the thing I you're don't right, think yeah. it's really Sean Penn's vibe. Although I think Jared Harris clearly if you're going for most of the film to be an intellectual character, he was the guy. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, I was you're right. I was biased to the fight scene itself. Um though I'd quite happily see Sean Penn doing anything pretty much. <laughs> yeah, he's just such a committed actor. I mean, he just commits to the yeah. role so wholeheartedly. Um, but yeah, you know, that's that's just this. Uh, is it the need? I mean, Guy Ritchie has kind of created this um, more hard-edged, more physical uh, kind of uh, persona for Sherlock Holmes. You know, which is fair enough because I mean, it wouldn't have otherwise worked. But um, if you're going to live by that kind of ruling, you'd think you'd go a little more hardcore on, um, or you would have Holmes significantly more crippled going into the fight sequence. Like, for right. example, in Gladiator, they really well set it up that the character uh, is seriously hurt going into the ring so that his triumph is greater, but also you believe that, you know, somebody that's as experienced a fighter as he is going to have trouble taking out the uh, taking out Caesar, even though we've set up that Caesar's been having lots of uh, training formally. You know, they, they really had hobbled him so much going into the scene that you thought, okay, it's a fair fight um, and he's really suffering. But anyway, that's just me. So, um, Ian, were there any shots that we haven't mentioned that you wanted to touch on? Um, just going back to sort of... Uh the way Holmes would sort of predict things in the first film. I actually think they did that a bit less this time. It's something I didn't actually really, really like about the first film was that he'd be in a boxing match and he would, you know, see what's going to happen and then they would actually have that and then that would actually happen. I actually found that a little bit boring. But no, they, I liked it. I liked the thinking through stuff. When I liked the idea of it. was a believable amount of thinking through, if I hit you here, you're going to react this way and go here not thinking through like in the train where mm. or, or or at the end where it's maybe less so at the end but in the train stuff and some of the other things it was just like I'm thinking through so many frigging steps ahead with too many variables with too many people like yes if I hit you in the knee I might predict that you're going to bend over at the waist because that's a reaction that someone would have and it's yes it's reasonable if you're also holding in your left hand a club that you'll swing that hand around if I hit you in your knee and you bend over at the waist. Like, it's kind of, yeah, I got that. Three guys are going to come through that door. The second guy through yeah. the door will fire four shots, but on the fifth shot, it'll be, no, I'm sorry. But I actually thought they did it less in the sequel. And, and in fact, the whole point was that Moriarty could upstage him and think as well, so that Holmes got it wrong a little bit at the end. What did you think, if, Jason? I, I liked, 
um, the one they did with the Cossack hanging from the ceiling, where he went through the whole thing. I'm going to pull him down with the umbrella. I'm going to beat him up, and I'm going to do this, and blah, blah, blah. He pulls him down, so then he goes into real time, pulls him down. The guy stands up, and Numi, what's-her-name, throws three knives into him, and the fight's over. It's a little bit of an Indiana Jones gag. And and it that I, I found, I found uh, like, a nice turn on that thing because i was like all right then they're gonna fight i just saw this but then they they chopped it i thought that was a good uh use of that probably the best probably the best one in terms of what you know in reality based on what you're having a problem with mike would probably happen because they showed her with the knife behind her back you know right Mm. and just going back to the main and end credits this is from imdb but i think the end credits were by fugitive studios which is Roger Coupling, and the main titles were by Prologue, which yes. have done a lot of great work recently, actually. Um, you know, things like um, Tron, Legacy, they did Rango, Thor. Um, you know, they've been doing some cool stuff. Um, okay, so uh, obviously I'm down on the film more than anyone else, but that's okay. Um I think it was only because I had such high hopes for it and I liked Guy Ritchie's work so much. Um, but, hey, that's just me. Um, maybe you guys will have uh, a completely different opinion. We'd love to hear from you if you do. Um, I'm guessing that uh, if there was a Sherlock Holmes 3 that uh, Ian and... Well, let's start with you, Ian. You'd go? You think it's... You're still into it? Of course. Yeah, okay. definitely. Definitely. Jason? Um. Well, I have to preface it by saying the first one, I, the only reason I saw it is because we were doing a show about it. Okay. I actually didn't really have a, a, a desire to see it. Sort of like what happened with Hugo, too. I, the trailer mate gave me nothing, and I was glad I, I saw it. The first one, I was glad I saw it. It was entertaining. This one, I was glad I saw it. I have much lower expectations from these kind of movies, and I'm not like the most ground-worshipping Guy Ritchie fan. So I sort of... I, I and Downey lately annoys the shit out of me. So, so I'm so low on everything that anything that's like halfway decent and entertaining and well done is fine for me on certain movies. So, okay. Well, I'll just point out in finishing that just to, and I have the right of doing this, I guess. They didn't actually invent lipsticks, Ian. Until 1915, <laughs> I just looked it up. This movie was taking place in 1891, right? So, you know, I'm just saying, mate, that's like 24 years before lipsticks were around. Or Big Bertha. Or Big Bertha. And let's face it, there were only a handful of cars in the entire world back then. It's kind of odd that all of them were in England, but anyway. Um, but, hey, that's fine. I can, I can... If the rest of the film was there, I'd, I'd have gone along for the ride. Um, so, uh, look... Thanks so much for doing the show, Jason. Sorry I've been so um, negative. But, um, you know, God, that's what happens when you set... If you do really, really good work, and I'm going to say that about the uh, my criticism of that matte painting as much as the director, if you do really, really good work, um, then some asshole like me is going to come along and expect you to do it every single time out of the gate. Jason, where can people f- uh, hook up with you or follow you or tap into your website or whatever? Uh, the Twitters, Jason Diamond, like The Ring uh all one word and and my website mbsproductions.com the company I have a production company I have with my brother and that is like my big sherlock okay <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Ian? <laughs> you can um, find me on Twitter, VFX blog. Um, and also I'm hovering around FX Guide, got articles and things there to read. And of course, uh, I can be found over at FX Guide or at FX PhD, but uh, I'm Mike Seymour on Twitter. Hey guys, uh, we're going to be doing a really interesting look at uh, the Oscars next week, so hopefully you'll be able to join us for that. Um, FX Guide is going to the Oscars, we're going to go for the VS Awards as well. We have amazing interviews lined up with a whole lot of uh, people, including the soups from all the nominated films. We're going to have a, a critique of the films, what we think's good, what we think's don't, what where, where the sort of what does this sample of five tell us about where the industry is at circa 2012 um so with that i'm off on my honeymoon uh see you later Holmes. uh i'll miss you and uh, i'm out of here thanks guys for listening see ya if you have any questions or comments please email us at vfx at fxguide.com Copyright 2012, FX Guide, LLC.